Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, also has the truth about life and death. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Welcome back to Know Your Bible. We're glad you've joined us this week, uh, ready to study the Bible with us. If you're a first-time viewer, let me explain what we do. Uh, we just answer Bible questions. Uh, we're a little different than most religious TV programs. A lot of them tell you what they think you want to know or need to know. Uh, we ask you what you'd like to know. So uh, we ask you and we give you a phone number and a website on the bottom of the screen. You can use those anytime to get in touch with us. Tell us what's on your mind, what uh, you'd like to know about the Bible, or maybe it's something in your life. You wonder, what's the Bible have to say about that? Uh, we'll try to find you an answer. So we just want folks to know their Bible a little better. Uh, we think that's a good way to do it is answer Bible questions. So we're going to answer some today. Uh, I'm Steve Tandy, and i got a couple of helpers here that answer most of the questions. Toby Levering's in the middle. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. Jeff Martin down there anchoring that end. And, uh, Good morning, Steve. All studied up and ready to go. Glad you guys are here. Uh, we always give our viewers one first. So, viewers, here's your question for the day. Uh, which prophet secretly anointed David to be king? Uh, famous prophet, and we'll give you the answer to that at the end of the program, see if you know that bit of Bible history. Well, speaking of the Bible, I wonder who wrote it. Well, we have just such a question. Oh, okay, answer, good. I'm glad. Good segue there. <laughs> uh, the question that we have first on today's episode is, did God write the Bible? Well, yes and no. Uh, not in the sense uh, that he literally scribed the words onto stone or parchment or paper or tablet. Um, we have one account where he did do that in the, with the Ten Commandments, the original ones God actually wrote. Um, but uh, for the rest of Scripture, we have uh, understand that it was uh, a human being that physically wrote down what was uh, given to them. And uh, and so in that sense, yes, it originated with God, was from the mind of God, and led by the Spirit of God. So that's what we mean by yes and no. He was fully involved in the process, shall we say. Uh, we understand that's why God's Word is different from every other book, any other book that we'll read in our lifetimes. Uh, it's unique among all other books. That's what makes it infallible, perfect. Uh, and always reliable to teach God's will. So as we think about that, we talk about knowing your Bible, but that's why knowing your Bible matters so much, uh, because we understand the will and the heart of God. Let's look at a couple of scriptures that talk about the scripture. First uh, one we'll look at is 2 Timothy 3.16. Paul, writing to the young preacher Timothy, says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It was breathed out, the word pneuma. It was given by his spirit. And, of course, in this context, it's very likely, I mean, Paul would have, the scripture would have been referring to what we call the Old Testament. Uh, some of what we have in the New Testament had been written, but some had not. So the, the scripture, because it's breathed out by God, is instructive and 
purposeful uh, for helping us grow in our walk with the Lord. Secondly, let's look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Peter writes, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Uh, this, uh, again, it kind of gets more into prophecy and the speaking of God's prophets, but understanding that they were speaking God's word. And this is the same principle we have in God's word, is that the word uh, comes and is driven by uh, the Holy Spirit, which has, uh, has been breathed out by God. All scripture, because it's breathed out, by God is fully trustworthy and reliable. So, uh, no, he didn't actually write the Bible, but yes, he was fully involved in the process. That's what <coughs> makes his word so special. Okay. All right, Jeff got the famous pearls and pigs question. Yes. Well, <laughs> ever, know. Everybody's heard of it, but not a, big, a lot of people know what it means. Yeah, and I think it's, it's taken out of context sometimes. So, a viewer wants to know, what did Jesus mean about not casting pearls before swine? So, Let's get right into it and look at the verse that this comes from, with his, which is Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. It says, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. And of course, in another version, it says, Pearls before swine. Um, if you look at the context of this, this is a part of the Sermon on the Mount. And right before Jesus says this, he's talking about uh, judgment. He's talking about not judging. He says, judge not lest you be judged. Another famous phrase taken out of context. He's also saying, uh, do not try and take the speck out of someone's eye when you have a log or a plank in your own eye. It's very obvious here uh, that what he's talking about is the fact that we're all imperfect. We should be careful about judging others when we are imperfect ourselves. Uh, then when Jesus gets to this phrase, he shifts from judgment, speaking about judgment, to speaking about discernment. Because while we shouldn't judge others, Christians also shouldn't be ignorant about what is very obvious and right in front of their face. As Christians, we are instructed to share the gospel with those around us, um, with everyone around us. But there are some people who will hear the gospel message and ignore it completely, or make fun of it, uh, or just generally be unconcerned with it. And in those cases, we should use our discernment, uh, the obviousness of what's right in front of our face, and we should walk away. Uh, like he said in the beginning of the verse, there's no point in giving something holy to someone who desires to be unholy. Uh, and to use the, the actual wording from the verse, there's no point in giving the pearls of the gospel message to someone who is as unconcerned with that message as pigs would be if you threw pearls to them. Uh, if you are sharing the gospel message and you come across someone who is utterly and completely unconcerned with it, uh, the best message that you can give them, and they're unconcerned with it, then you should move on to more fertile soil and not just continue to throw uh, the pearls of the gospel before swine. Okay, good answer, good explanation. Uh, we see that a little bit on this program. 99.99% uh, .99 of all the communication we get uh, is very positive and people really want to know what the Bible says and all that. Uh, but occasionally we'll answer a question that uh, doesn't match up with somebody's personal opinion and uh, they'll write or call in and 
be abusive and uh, uh, hateful and all kinds of things. And uh, we don't spend quite as much time answering those people <laughs> as we do people that are really sincerely interested in knowing the Bible. Makes so sense. that's what he's talking about. I think good, mm -hmm. good answer, Jeff. All right. Uh, if you're looking for a verse, why is Matthew 17:21 not in some Bibles? Well, our viewer's right. Uh, some Bibles you can read along and you'll read verse 20 and then all of a sudden you go to verse 22. Uh, 21 is missing. So why is that? Let's back up just a little bit and do a brief history lesson here. We don't want to get too detailed. We could get, we could spend all hour on this and get really boring if we we wanted, I think, but uh, basically today, uh, when we come up with a manuscript, a uh, document, a digital file today, uh, it's stored and you can reprint it and it'll come out exactly the same every time. A uh, hundred years from now, if we've still got digital files, it'll come out exactly the same. Uh, back in Bible days, uh, people copied by hand what was originally written. Uh, we don't have any of the originals, but we've got some very early, they're called manuscripts, copies of what Matthew wrote and Mark wrote and Luke and John and Paul and all of that. We've got copies. Now, every time somebody sat down to hand copy from one to a new, ver a new copy, they could have made some mistakes uh, to humans. Uh, you, if you try copying a long book by hand, and you'll make a mistake or two. Uh, you'll put a dot in the wrong place, or you'll do something uh, maybe that makes a little error. And scribes who did that copying were very, very careful. Uh, they are so close, there's hardly any mistakes we find in different manuscripts. But occasionally we find a little difference. A lot of those, perhaps, where a scribe would write a kind of a, a note, exp explanatory note out beside in the margin uh, about what he thought something meant and maybe the next copier would think that was part of scripture and put it in there. So a number of different ways little mistakes could have slipped in. Now we've got manuscripts over the centuries uh, that are newer or older. When the King James Version was translated in 1611, uh, they used the best, oldest manuscripts they could find and wrote it down. Since then, we found earlier manuscripts. When scholars study those earlier manuscripts against the older ones, sometimes they'll discover, well, that little part isn't in the earlier manuscripts. So at that point, they decide it was a scribe's mistake, and they put in the new version that they're writing, uh, that that's not in some original manuscripts. So our viewer asked about verse 21 of uh, uh, da, 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 Matthew 17. Uh, let's look at what it says at the bottom of the page in your Bible, probably. There's a footnote that says uh, about verse 20. Some manuscripts add verse 21, and it says, but this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So what happened is some scribe probably three or four hundred years later wrote that down. That's an explanation. Uh, the King James translators saw that and put it in as scripture. Uh, 
later in the 1900s or even today we get new translations. Uh, we've got newer or older manuscripts, earlier manuscripts, and uh, that verse isn't in there. So they leave it out. They put down at the bottom of the page a footnote that says uh, some manuscripts do have this, uh, but it's not in the earliest, the best ones we have. So that's why a few verses, very few, and absolutely none of them are, are consequential. They don't have anything to do with salvation or uh, the truths about God. They're just interesting little mistakes that were made over the years. So that's that's the uh, kind of long answer to a short question. <laughs> we make sure we uh, talk about a good way to study the Bible. We do that each week. Uh, we advocate Bible study and uh, we study the Bible with you a little bit each week, but uh, we want you to study on your own or maybe with a group of people. We've got some tools that will help you do that. Uh, here's an introductory course that just gets you introduced to the Bible, a uh, good overview of the Bible, not denominational or tied to anybody's creed. It's just pure Bible. So if you'd like to tackle that, we'll be happy to get it sent to you free of charge. Once you get through it, we've got some other courses that are uh, great ways to keep studying the Bible for a long time. With Know Your Bible Study Tools, we pay the postage both ways, uh, absolutely free to you. just takes a little bit of your time. If you're into online studies and want to do it digitally, we've got those too. So uh, just log on to oneway.worldbibleschool.org get you started with some online courses that are uh, <clears throat> very, very interesting studies and help you know your Bible. So use the phone number website on the screen, request that mail-in course, or log on and get your on online courses. Great way to study the Bible. We're happy to provide that because we want you to know your Bible. All okay. Right. Next question is about a, a passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Uh, they want to know, they say, explain 2 Corinthians chapter 12 about the person going to the third heaven. Okay, so 2 Corinthians chapter 12, a little bit of context here. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and he is uh, kind of asserting his authority as an apostle because there was problems with false apostles, and we talked about false teachers earlier. Uh, this was happening, and Paul was really saying, kind of saying, laying out his credentials uh, as an apostle chosen by Jesus Christ. Um, and he talks first starts talking about his sufferings, the, the things that he suffered because of the gospel. And it's truly a, a profound list. It, it's amazing uh, what Paul suffered because of uh, the calling that was put on him. But then he uh, steps into chapter 12, uh, verses 2 through 4. And let's read this on the screen. He, he writes, I know a man in Christ... Um, which is a, a way of saying, this was me. <laughs> I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. Okay, so the, the, uh, he goes on to share about his vision uh, that he has about this third heaven. Some people think, well, how many heavens are there, and what is the, what's the meaning of this, and you know, are there certain heavens for different levels of Christians, and all of these kind of things. Uh, it's much better understood if you under, understand how in Jewish culture they referred to heaven. 
the first heaven is what you and I would call the sky, the atmosphere. It's the place where the birds fly. That's heaven number one. Uh, the second heavens is what we would call uh, the universe, the outer space uh, beyond the planet where the sun and the moon and the stars uh, are located. That, that was heaven number two, uh, according to the, to the Jewish people. They, they called that the second heaven. And the third heaven is a spiritual location, not a physical location. It's place, the, the residing place of God and the celestial beings. And so Paul's saying here, and he he. He says, I know a man in Christ, and then he says, but I don't know if this was something I would just close my eyes and dreamed, or if I was actually there. Only God knows that. Um, but he says, uh, this place was so, in fact, he described it as inexpressible. That It is so amazing and so astounding that it's not, it, words don't even do it justice. I don't even have the words to describe it. So uh, that's what Paul, it was happening in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul's describing his vision of heaven. He doesn't give us the full picture. He's not allowed to, just to, to make the point that it's <coughs> exceptionally good and that it is uh, the hope uh, that we have for all of those who have their faith in Christ. So hopefully that explains 2 Corinthians 12 about the third heaven. All right. I've got one here about the name of Jesus, or in this case, Yeshua. Someone wants to know, was what was Jesus' name, Jesus or Yeshua? And the short answer here is both. But there's a growing movement of people who are very concerned and have some very strong opinions on this, so it bears looking at. Uh, the, the, the name Yeshua is the Hebrew name, and the English spelling of Yeshua would be Joshua. And then you have the Greek transliteration of that, which is Lysus, and its English spelling would be Jesus. And so that's how we get the name Jesus. And so there are a growing number of believers who think we should go back to the original name, which is Yeshua, and to not do so would be blasphemous. Um, but the problem is all of these names are referring to one being, and that being is the only Son of God. And changing the name of something, especially because language changes and simply because there are different languages, does not change the thing itself. If, if you look at any word in the English language and then you go around the world and find other words for that thing, the thing itself does not change only the word. They're still referring to that same thing. They're still referencing the same thing. And Yeshua and Jesus are both referring to the one and only Son of God, so they are both appropriate. And if you want to use the name Yeshua when you read and when you talk about what we call Jesus, uh, then I think that's perfectly acceptable. I think it's also perfectly acceptable to use Jesus because they are both referring to the Son of God. All right, good answer. Uh... Musical instruments. We get questions about that every once in a while, and this viewer phrased it this way. Where does it say in the Bible not to have a musical instrument in the church building? Let me answer that very quickly. Absolutely nowhere it does not say that in the Bible. Now, let's talk about the premise of the question. Uh, and I imagine if you're a first-time viewer to this program, you're sitting there thinking, that's the goofiest question I ever heard. Uh, why would anybody ask that? Well, 
<clears throat> if you're familiar with the Churches of Christ who provide this program, uh, you probably know that we are kind of unique and that we sing a cappella in worship. Uh, a cappella is an old word that means chapel music, music from the church. Uh, so we still sing a cappella, which is voice only, uh, without instrument. And like I said, we're a little unique these days for that. Uh, so this viewer thinks that's kind of odd and wants to know, well, where does it say you can't have a musical instrument? It doesn't say we can't have a musical instrument. The reason we sing a cappella, actually there's two reasons. Uh, the first reason is we have a philosophy uh, that the best way to please God is to just do what the Bible says. Uh, we endeavor to do just what the Bible says without adding anything or taking anything away. So when it comes to worship and you read the New Testament, when it's talking about music and worship, uh, the only thing it ever says is to sing. <clears throat> it never says play an instrument, uh, just sing. So kind of simple. We just sing. Now, the second reason is that we look at history, and history proves that a very interesting thing happened. Uh, a group of Jews and Christian, or uh, pagans who were all used to musical instruments in their worship, uh, when they became Christians and started worshiping together on Sundays to commemorate the resurrection of Jesus, they didn't use instruments. Uh, that was under the direction of the apostles. Uh, they obviously approved of it for some reason. And we look at history and see that nobody even thought about adding an instrument to Christian worship for hundreds and hundreds of years. And when somebody finally did think of it, it raised all sorts of problems. Christians said, you can't do that. We, we don't use instruments in our worship. Uh, the church split the Eastern Church and the Western Church split in part because of that question. Uh, so look at history, follow the Bible. We decided it's just the best thing to do to sing a cappella. Uh, we don't have a verse that says we can't use an instrument. We just don't choose to. Now, let me add one interesting thing here. As I said, we're unique today. And that's because just in the last few hundred years have instruments really become uh, widespread in Christian worship. Uh, for many, many centuries, uh, Christian leaders didn't believe you ought to use instruments in music. They were in the vast majority. Uh, now we're in the minority, I guess. Uh, but just one example of that, uh, let me show you a quote from the 1700s. A fellow named John Wesley, who some of you Methodists are familiar with, uh, he said, I have no objection to the organ in our chapels, provided it is neither seen nor heard. <laughs> uh, John Wesley knew there wasn't a verse that said you can't have an instrument in the building. Uh, he just didn't think you ought to use them in Christian worship. So... He said, yeah, you can have one in the building. I just don't want to see it or hear it. <laughs> so interesting quote there from history, but uh, that's the answer. We don't sing a cappella because we're prohibited.
from having an instrument. We just want to follow the New Testament and do what it says and uh, be consistent with history. So hope that helps you understand that. Let me take a moment and invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. Uh, the Churches of Christ provide this program, uh, produce it, and sponsor it. And we like to thank some of the churches that help us stay on the air, Kingman Church of Christ and the Pratt Church of Christ, uh, both great churches in those small communities, uh, uh, they would warmly welcome you. If you're looking for a church home, maybe you know somebody that attends the Kingman Church of Christ or Pratt Church of Christ. If you do, uh, and see them at work or school or somewhere, tell them, hey, I heard about you on uh, Know Your Bible the other day, and thank you for providing that program for us. For us. Uh, I enjoy watching it, and thank you for your help. So drop in, visit them, or any Church of Christ in your viewing area. All right, Toby, Bible recommendations. Uh, yes, they want to know what is a good Bible for a teenager. Um, I will say that the best Bible for a teenager is like any of us. It's the Bible that you will use. Uh, if they're a new Christian, having a translation that is easier to read for them is great. Um, and, you know, there's lots of options. We've got hard copy. We've got digital Bibles on our phones. Lots of good apps. Uh, Bible apps, uh, version is a great one. You can look at all different kinds of translations. There's Bible reading plans, uh, BibleGateway.com. If you're not sure which translation, you can look at all of the translations at the same time, which one reads easier. Uh, just get them one that they'll use regularly, whether it's a hard copy Bible or encourage them to use a Bible app um, uh, like version or others. Uh, the important part is that they read it, they study it, and that they live according to it. Let's look at Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11. The psalmist writes, How can a young, ma young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And that's the important part is encouraging them, uh, not just encouraging them, but setting an example for them of storing up the word in your heart uh, so that we continue to learn and know and grow with God. Hope that helps. All righty, Jeff. Last time I think we got room for one here. All right. The viewer wants to know, was John the last prophet? And then he references Luke 16, 16, uh, which again, you won't see, but it'll say the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached and everyone forces his way into it. Uh, simply put here, no, John was not the last prophet. Uh, we know that because if you look at uh, Acts 11:28, you can see that Agabus was also called a prophet. Prophet is simply someone who speaks for God. And so there were other prophets after John. When we look at Luke 16, 16, basically what it was saying was that we were at a turning point in history. Uh, before John prepared the way for the Messiah, all we had was the expectation of the Messiah. Uh, we had the prophecies, uh, we had the law, and now the Messiah is here. Everything in that moment shifted and changed and was made different. So that's what Luke 16, 16 uh, is, is talking about. All right, a good explanation there. And uh, John introduced the the Messiah. He, he wasn't prophesying about him. He said, "That's him." That's him right there. Yes. <laughs> pretty pretty big moment in history. All right, we're glad that you've been with us today, and we want to make sure we get our trivia question answered. So let's do that. Uh, it was about the prophet that secretly anointed David to be king. And I imagine a lot of our viewers knew the answer to that one. Samuel was the famous prophet that uh, was in 
uh, in, in the job of prophet uh, during the time of Saul and David and Solomon, all that very interesting time. And he was the one that anointed David when he was fairly young, we think. And then many years later, he became king. All right, we thank you for being with us today, and we hope we got to your question. If not, we're going to be back next week trying to answer some more. So we'll invite you to be back then. Until then, we hope you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational, and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions, and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.